you are now tuning into the Four Feathers podcast brought to you by Chicago Sports Nation. Welcome to episode six of the Four Feathers podcast. We got a full crew today. I'm joined by Tony Marchese, Ron Luce, and Tyler Jones. What's up, boys? How's it going? Hey, hey, hey. What's up, guys? (laughs) Not too much. All right. So we have a good, bad, and ugly show to get to today. Um, a little bit of each in this last week of games here. Um, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, last week of games, Thursday, um, Crawford returned. We lost to Arizona 4-1 to Saturday, win at Columbus 4-1. to Sunday night, loss versus Tampa Bay 6-3. to And Tuesday, win versus Anaheim. So um, what are, how are we feeling after this little stretch of games here? So what did I tell you guys about Thursday? Trap what game. Did I, what did I keep saying? Mm-hmm. This whole time, trap game. Um, and I expected that to happen 100%. Uh, didn't really like the outcome. Um, the one takeaway I got from that Arizona game, I don't know if you guys noticed it, is how much I miss Nicholas Jomerson. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. But, no, uh, no, no. You know, it was it was nice to see them come back after a little bit of, I guess, adversity there and win against Columbus. And then, I mean, the back-to-back, you kind of expected, I guess, uh, who was that, Ward starting? Yep. Uh, you kind of expected to see Ward lose to Tampa Bay. I probably myself would have flipped uh, the Crawford start to Sunday um, at home instead of uh, against Columbus. Uh, but eh, to each their own, I kind of expected the loss there. We kind of hung with them for a little bit and then shit just kind of opened up. Uh, Tampa Bay's a really good team. And then I, I guess after their most, what they called embarrassing loss, it was really good to see them come back and, and put the ducks away. So uh, like you said, I mean, the title of the episode, the good, the bad, the ugly, that's um, kind of, it was a little bit of a roller coaster stretch of games. Yeah, definitely. I was at that Arizona game, and uh, like you said about Jalmerson, definitely miss him. Uh, gave a nice tribute to him uh, on the video board, and he actually had some tears in his eyes when he was out on the ice. So that was uh, touching to see. Big, warm welcome back for Crawford, which is great. Um, and then Saturday, I mean, I didn't think we really had any business even being in that game. Crawford just returned to last year's beginning of the season Crawford form. Uh, kept us in it, tied 1-1 through two, and then we exploded in the third, which is good to see. Uh, Tampa, that's where our ugly came in, that second period. Oh, my God. Oh my 34 God. shots Shit. allowed. Uh, and, yeah, that's the most uh, in NHL history, 34 shots allowed in a period. So that was pretty ugly. But nice bounce back last night uh, against Anaheim, especially Brandon side. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Least favorite part yeah. about that Arizona game is fucking Henestrosa just roofing one. Oh, God. I, dude, I was sitting I was sitting at the end, that same end, because I was on, like, uh, the 200 level, 
Mm-hmm. And I was at that end, and oh my god, it was just it, first of all, it was a perfectly placed shot, so it would right. have been an amazing save if Crawford would have made it. But of course, you know, it's the former players that gotta, you know, stick it to us. So. I was gonna say those first two goals for Arizona were one was scored by Hino, and then the uh, I think it was the first one was assisted by Osterley, and I was like, of course, of course, that's just how it has to be. Mm. Of course, you know, yeah, but. Yep. All right. Well, you well know, we can always bring those. We can bring those guys back in like you know five or six years. Yeah, that's yeah, a turn tour. Seems to be the cycle. Kruger's back with us now. You know, Kruger looks it, good, yeah. man. He looks. Yeah, a little, I think he looks Kruger good. Better. I agree. I think he's finally fully healthy this year, which yeah. is huge. I mean, he's um, not going to do numbers, right? But on the P, their PK looks not terrible. Like in the Tampa Bay, in the Tampa game, I was literally writing to the group like, okay, this PK doesn't look bad. And then Tampa scored like as I was writing that, but they don't look terrible. Yeah. A lot of firepower with Tampa Bay though. So yeah. overall, I would agree with you. I think the PK has definitely made a step forward. I like that they're playing a little more aggressive on the PK too, before mm-hmm. it was such a passive box, like in past years. Whereas now I feel like they'll go out and challenge a little more. Not as much as other teams that will play. Like I remember just watching Saturday night Columbus looks like they're just hounding the puck, but when they're on their PK, but we, uh, looks, it looks improved. Say that. Yeah. They definitely need to put a good stretch of games together here though on the PK, because right now that percentage is absolute garbage. I think Mm -hmm. they're like 29th or something like that right now, PK percentage. So, um, and I mean, I think a lot of that's because of those early games. You know, they're the last like two games besides Tampa's game, uh, the the PK hasn't looked too terrible. So, but yeah, if they could put together a nice little stretch of like five or six games where you know maybe they have two or three kills and they they kill them all off, mm-hmm. uh, that'll be good for the percentage. Yeah, definitely. So with all those games, um, we had uh, options for moment of the week. We ran a Twitter poll earlier today. Um, and Crawford's return one moment of the week was 75% of the vote. No, uh, surprise there. Uh, Saturday night showtime, the goal that was scored on the great passing play between, uh, Seabrook and Kane that got 3% of the vote. Fortin's first goal, our boy, 45% of the vote and Saad's bounce back game last night. Uh, I got 17% of the vote. Um, so let's go with the moment of the week, Crawford's return. Um, what what have you guys seen from him? Crows looked unbelievable. I'm I'm absolutely blown away. And I, I one thing I took away or have taken away from you know Crow returning is everybody was skeptical, and naturally you, you can't get your hopes up too much, otherwise you're going to be disappointed. You know everybody's like, all right, if he comes back and he plays average and gets in a groove, great. Literally, the dude has not played hockey in 10 months and just steps in and looks like himself again. I mean, that's a huge testament to him because, you know, it's not like he's 25 and doing that and stepping back into the game. Even the the guy's 33, you know, and he's effortlessly stepping back into these games and single-handedly stealing games. Uh, See the Columbus game, for example, on uh, on Saturday night. So I'm very, very impressed with Crow. I'm happy he's back. Uh, I still feel terrible for him because of the defense playing in front of him. But if the D can, you know, get healthy and potentially play better and, and he continues this level of play, uh, I feel much better about the the back end than I did, say, about two weeks ago. Yeah, Ty or uh, Tony, 
What, yeah. what are your crow observations? Piggybacking off of that, I just think uh, I remember hearing the interviews saying, you know, Q said that he hasn't skipped a beat and all that stuff. And that, to me, it just sounded like, yeah, okay, he hasn't skipped a beat. He hasn't played hockey since last November. Like, that's impossible. But you watch him and you're like, oh, shit, man. He looks he looks the like in the same form as he did in the beginning of the year last year. It's just, it's hard to believe that that's the outcome. And I mean, obviously I'm happy about it. It's just so crazy that he's able to return like that. And honestly, with him and Nett looking good, I actually, I like Ward as a backup goalie. I think Ward is, I mean, he's not played the best, but I don't think he's starting goalie potential. You know, he, he may be one of the better backups we've had since Darling for sure. Yeah, I mean, you guys kind of hit on everything that, that there really is to say about that, uh, especially you, Ron. Um, nobody really expected this, especially out of a 33-year-old um, coming back from that injury. And you, you got to think that he's probably still fighting it a little bit. I, I, I wouldn't think that you come back from that and be 100% and, and not have any rust. But, um, you know, you would have liked to see him come back and get the win and steal that game against against Arizona. Um, you know, I'll give him a pass on it though. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be crow. Who's going to drive what's going to happen with the Hawks for the rest of this year. If he can continue to steal games like that, and you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to show up um, like he did against Columbus uh, a number of times. It would, it would like be nice if, if we had some defense in front of him still, but yeah, if there's, if there's one goalie that can steal games right now in the NHL, uh, it's Corey Crawford. And, it, we've seen this from him before. He's the difference between a, you know, a deep playoff run or an early exit or even making the playoffs. Mm. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how much they use him and Ward as a tandem, um, especially when we get into, you know, some of these stretches that we talked about. A lot of back-to-backs coming up. Um, you know, you got to pick the right matchups for him. Like I said a little bit earlier, uh, I would have liked to see Crawford against Tampa Bay. Uh, that might have been a little bit too much fire for him, you know, especially early, early on. But I'd like to see Corey Crawford going up against the best teams uh, rather than rather than Cam Ward. Uh, you don't want to concede games. I guess that you could make a case and say, yeah, uh, you, you can get that win against Columbus and kind of just forfeit that Tampa Bay game if if you didn't really think you could compete. But that doesn't really say much for me when it comes to, you know, in the playoffs, you want your best goalie up against the best team. So uh, I, I'd like to see I'd like to see him go up against a, you know, uh, uh, one of the top teams in the league and see how he does there. I think that's going to be a real tell uh, as to how, how back Corey Crawford is. Yeah, I just got a couple of points. You guys pretty much touch on everything. But uh, like I had written in my um season preview for Blackhawks nation. I mean, Corey Crawford was the biggest question on this team. Um, you know, Tony, you said it, his, his play is going to dictate whether we make the playoffs, miss playoffs, or even, you know, go on a run, uh, in the playoffs at all. Um, and then just my observations from Thursday being there, uh, he got sold out on the goal. Uh, Kunitz just throwing it to nobody. Um, the, the, nothing really you can do about that. Two on one Manning played terrible in front of him. Um, so that was one of the other goals. Hinnestroza had a perfect shot, uh, for the, um, the one that was probably the most savable, but still he put that in a perfect spot, top shelf. And then the other was an empty netter. So can't really pin that Thursday game on crow. 
And then Saturday, I, that was when I was most impressed. Uh, we, like I said a little bit earlier, we had no business being in that game. Um, it, after the second period, we only had five shots on goal. Columbus was skating circles around us, and Crow kept us in it and allowed uh, the offense to finally come alive in the third period. So um, good, good stuff from Crow so far. Hopefully he can keep it up, kind of keep him fresh. Um, but luckily the next back to back isn't until next Wednesday, Thursday. So got a little time before that. Um, all right. I wanted to touch on the second place, uh, vote getter in the moment of the week poll sods bounce back game. Since that happened most recently, that was last night. Um, wow. That guy looked like a completely different player. The guy that you signed for 6 million playing like a true power forward. So, well, what was your favorite um, part of Brandon Sod's game last night, Ron? Uh, all of it, because uh, he's back. I mean, he looks like Brandon Sod. He looks like the the two way forward that people were calling Baby Hosa, and you know was playing on arguably the greatest line of hockey for a stretch of time there with Haas and Taves. Uh, he's just, he, I think, he's finally just getting back to doing what he does best. You know, when he was playing with, with Schmaltz and Kane, he was kind of required to be the dirty area guy, but all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of hindering him because, yeah, his his game thrives in the dirty areas. I mean, as was seen last night, you know, he scored that first goal, you know, on the doorstep. But when you're required to constantly be the guy to go fetch these pucks for Schmaltz and Kane, you're not getting opportunities yourself to go score, you know, unless you're on the power play. That's really the only time he was seeing, you know, the, the, the amount of opportunities to shoot. And so I think now that Anisimov is on that line as well, it kind of gives you, and please do not take this the wrong way at all, because that's not what I'm trying to get at. It gives that line has more of the same dynamic to the, what used to be Saad Taves Hosa line than mm-hmm. it did with Schmaltz on it because now you got two guys that are willing to go in deep with an Isimov and Saad. Kane is Kane really he'll go in deep for a puck. I mean just not very often. He, that's not his role. But you know, he's the skill on the line. Guys are gonna be, you know, eyeing Patrick Kane when they're out on the ice. And that's gonna allow Saad to be Saad. And I think that's what he needs. So um for his sake I hope they keep that second line together. Uh, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about those new lines mm-hmm. uh, in a little bit, but I, I hope they keep that together and he just keeps playing the way he is. Cause if he starts playing like this, the league needs to watch out because he's going to be back to the 60 point Brandon sod that he was uh, to your point when he got that $6 million a year contract from uh, the Columbus blue jackets. Yeah, absolutely. Last night was impressive. Two goals, seven shots, two blocks, one takeaway, 56.8% Corsi four in 1856 time on ice. Um, it like our, uh, guest are on episode two barstool chief. Um, he had said it best and we're going to touch on these lines a little bit, but I think that chemistry does work a little better for all those reasons that you had just mentioned, Ron with the Nisimov centering that second line. So um, good to get Brandon side going. I know it's only been one game, but at least we know that he's capable of it and he's not completely lost in his own head or whatever the case may have been up until that point. 
So, Ron, I want to I want to jump in on on this and and maybe make a little bit of a counterpoint. Do you really think that he's back after one solid performance, or do you need to see more from him? Uh, I think he's back because he, he had one solid performance in terms of getting on the score sheet. Uh, he's really played well the last three games. Yeah, Columbus uh, he had a really good game, and then he Columbus, was one of the yeah. better players for Tampa against Tampa too. Exactly, he was by far the most noticeable player in that Tampa game. Um, I had the the pleasure of watching it after being at the bar all day. So, you know, I was pretty in tune, but, uh, yeah, he was by far the, the guy that stood out. I don't think anybody else stood out that game because they did not look good. I'll be honest, you, him and Cam Ward were honestly the two that stood out because let's be honest, Cam Ward faced 54 shots of that game. He wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting off, not trying to get off subject, um, no, I think I think the three game stretch has been good, and I think each game Sod has gotten better, and I think that's where the um, kind of the positive outlook is coming from, at least from me. Uh, you know, he's got he's he's just playing his game again, and that's all he needs to do because when Brandon Sod plays his game, he's a an effective fifty to sixty point two way forward, and that's exactly what they need him to be. They don't need him to be an 85-point superstar. That's what Kane's for. They don't need him to be the fancy guy who's deacon and getting around people. You know, you could argue that's what, you know, Johnny's for or, you know, Kane again. if he ever – Yeah, or Kane again or Schmaltz if he ever gets his head out of his ass. Uh, Here, here's my thing, Ron, though, is is we've seen a three-game stretch. How long was, was Brandon Todd bad for? I mean – if it, it's it's nice to see him have a good game. I'm not saying or a good stretch of three games. I'm not saying that that's, you know, bad. Like I love that. I want to see Brandon Todd in front of the net the way he was when he scored that goal. And you mentioned when you were talking about it, he needs to get to the dirty areas. We don't have a guy who's been standing. And we we touched on this in in previous podcasts. We don't have a guy who's standing in front of the fucking net causing trouble. Mm-hmm. And if there's somebody built for that, it's Brandon Todd. And to see him there when he scored that is refreshing. And I don't know why he doesn't just park himself right there on every single shift and disrupt what's going on in, in, in the offensive zone, because you saw it right there. He has the hands to, to move that puck around and, and get off a shot to score a goal. We, we're not in front of the net enough because we don't have those power forward type guys, except for Brandon Saad. So that's where he needs to be to score those dirty goals and, and get on the board. And I think that, like you said earlier, him going into the corners and chasing pucks and doing all that, he's not getting enough opportunities. So I do agree with you, Ron. I think it's about placement and the players that he's playing with. And I think that this this does allow him to play his game, like you said. But we need to see more of that. And and I think not to put a lot of this, this the struggles on cue with moving guys around, but I think that does affect a player like Brandon Saad. It takes him out of his game when he has to fulfill different responsibilities i'm kind of echoing what you said but i'm not ready to say that brandon Saad is fully back until i see a 10 15 game stretch where brandon Saad is on the score sheet for seven of those games and is an impact player over a longer period of of time because we could go the next five games and brandon Saad could be back to the same thing he's been for the past year and a half so I think I just need a little bit more from him to fully qualify that he's back, but it has been awesome seeing what he's doing. And I think that those line combinations have have done nothing but help. Yeah. And I mean, in in fairness to last year, everybody was bad on that team. And 
I mean, he was still driving play. He was just, for whatever godforsaken reason, not able to put the puck in the back of the net. But I think, to your point, I think if, if Joel doesn't mess with these lines for a little bit and kind of lets that newly formed two-line play together, it, because the beauty of, to your point, you know, Saad wasn't out in front of the net when he was playing with Schmaltz and Kane. And I think, a bit, again, to that point, he was having to go chase all the pucks because this team, for whatever reason, loves to play dump and chase when they – I don't think they truly need to all the time. Um, this is the last team that needs to do dump and chase. And every exactly. time you bring up a huge – you bring up a huge point. This is the last fucking team that needs to do dump and chase. You've got guys that can handle the puck. And every time they do this dump and chase and they don't have the guys who can get into those corners and Saad's one of them, but do you really want Schmaltz and Kane to go in and dump and chase pucks? No, absolutely. All that's going to lead to is them getting hurt, banged up, injured, whatever. Um, There's not enough skill on, on some of these lines to get into those areas and avoid hits outside of Patrick Kane, but he's not going to go into those corners. I mean, it's, and it's not, it's not advantageous for him to do so every time I see that style and you can, and you guys know those games by the, by midway through the first period, you could tell if the Hawks are going to be playing that stupid dump and chase all game long. And it pisses me off when I see it. It's, it's, uh, you, you hit a, hit a nerve there, Rock. <laughs> well, and, and to that point though, I mean, you know, because Saad was having to play that role on that line to your point when Kane and, and Schmaltz were just dumping it in, you know, now that he's playing there with Anisimov, Anisimov is also not afraid to park his big ass in front of the net either. So that's going to allow Saad to play in behind the net, come out in front and put pucks on net right at the doorstep. Um, you know, he's not going to have to go in for every single puck deep because Anisimov is going to be able to now. So he can go get set up in front of the net and you let Kaner then do all the distribution then with the puck. So I think just dynamically that line has better chemistry overall because of their playing styles together. So uh, I think, again, Joel doesn't mess with this line for the next eight to ten games. Uh, I think you could see Saad being on the score sheet for five to seven of those. Pretty. Let's pretty. Let's take Let's take bets while we're here. Um, does, does coach Q leave these lines alone long enough for it to be beneficial for Brandon's side? I, let's start with Tyler. Cause I haven't heard his voice in a while. Um, I mean, I don't think he's going to because it's Q and he switches shit up the moment that something goes wrong, which I hate. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to leave it the moment that he sees someone struggling or a bad penalty being taken, it'll be switched out. Now from my preference point of view i would kind of echo what you guys are saying is i really want them to keep that line together i think anisimov is kind of an unsung hero in every line that he plays on um at least with kane in the mix in the panarin line he did a lot of the dirty work like we're talking now and um i think he needs to be surrounded by skill in order to bring out his game a little bit more and i think that's what we're seeing here and and the same thing kind of doubles on sod as well yeah, so um, just wanted to read off these lines because, Tony, that's a good way to break into these. Uh, Dabrinkit, Taves, Cahoon, that top line remains intact. Saad and Nisimov, Kane, second line. Uh, Fortin, Johnson, Schmaltz, third line. Kunitz, Kruger, Hayden, fourth line. So I'm going to say no, but it's more going to be a bottom four, uh, bottom six shakeup um, that will change things up. And of course, you'll get the occasional Kane getting double shifted, playing down with you know guys like Kruger and Fortin every once in a while. 
Um, but I think for the most part, at least for that, for sod's sake, and it, uh, you know, you don't want to cater to just one guy, but if he's going to be effective, like he was on Tuesday night. And, um, I, I think you gotta keep that second line together. So I think top six, yes. Bottom six, no, there's going to be some in and out there. Yeah. Camp was a healthy scratch the other night. I'm sure as soon as Luke Johnson only plays, you know, eight minutes and 50 seconds again, uh, in one of these games coming up for whatever matchup that Q doesn't like him in, Camp will be right back in the mix there. So no, <laughs> with Q's uh, Q's decision making, no way they all of them stay intact. Here's the question, though. Do you guys think this? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tyler. So having Schmaltz in a bottom six role, are we hurting his progression by doing so? Like, are, are we gonna maybe miss out? I know Schmaltz hasn't been playing so well lately, but like, where do, where I, do we find I, I, him? I'll take this. I'll yeah. take this because this is exactly I, where I was going with mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah. Why is Schmaltz on the wing again? Because you're using Johnson in that third line center role, and you were spending all this time developing Nick Schmaltz as a center. And if you look up and down this lineup, when you go Taves, Anishimov, Schmaltz, Kruger, you've got four decent, solid centers. And they're they're kind of switching it up with him and trying to use him in a wing spot. And that's, I guess, fine, but you need a solid third-line center. I mean, you remember Dave Boland was like the the <laughs> your prototypical third-line center, and I don't yeah. see the Hawks having that. And I don't think that's a Marcus Kruger role. I mean, you could flip him up there, but then you're just swapping that out for a bad fourth-line center. I think a lot of the problems on this Hawks team outside of the outside of the defense, if we're just looking at the offense, if there's something that the Hawks can do, it's bring in another center. If you're not going to give that opportunity to Nick Schmaltz, you need a solid third line center to make this team dangerous. Because if you look at these lines, those top three lines as they stand right now, you can argue that Fortin and Schmaltz could be top six guys. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, if, if you solidify that third line with a, you know, somebody who has two, three potential, or even bring in a guy that can play the second line with a little bit more speed, I guess, uh, a bigger power forward type, another uh, kind of a Nisimov-ish player, uh, you really make this the top nine super dangerous. And then you kind of have that that Kruger, Hayden, a line with a little bit of sandpaper down on, on four, and you can actually roll the four line. But right now, if you look at that lineup, there's one guy that doesn't belong, and that's Johnson. Yeah, I'd like to yeah. see Schmaltz slot over to center and maybe even bring in Sakura if they want a little more skill on that line because those three on the ice at the same time would be fucking flying. Ford and Schmaltz and Sakura would be flying oh, yeah. around. I agree 100%. I, uh, you guys said it best. I'd, I would rather see Schmaltz in a center role. And what you had, uh, you know, are we missing out on anything from Schmaltz, Tony, the question that you had asked? So we're doing what's best for the team now because you got to balance, you know, kind of with just the dynamic of Saad and Nisimov came there. You have to balance uh, your skill guys out a little bit and just having it loaded up in that top six, uh, you know, with Nisimov as third line center and Schmaltz as the second as it was before they switched these up. Uh, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because you're not very deep. So, um, I, Tyler, I love your plan, you know, move Schmaltz back to center and then let's see Dylan Sakura back up here. I would absolutely love that. So, you know what? Schmaltz probably isn't too happy about it because he's not, uh, getting his, you know, if he's playing with Kane, 
up on that second line, he's going to score a lot more points, and that's going to make him look a lot better mm-hmm. for his RFA coming up in the offseason. So he'd get paid more money that way. But from a team standpoint, I mean, this is what they need to do. But I like to see him third line center instead of right wing there. Can I can I play devil's advocate all right, all right. really quick? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. What do you think if Joel is moving Schmaltz around the lineup not only to just balance out lines, but he has now officially played left, center, and right, all the three of the forward spots. I think they're trying to showcase his versatility for a potential trade. Mm. I was actually just gonna I was actually just gonna touch on that, Ron. Are they diminishing his value? I was gonna ask I was gonna ask the question in a different way. Are they diminishing his value by not keeping him at center and moving him to a wing spot? Because wouldn't a second line center fetch more than a third line right wing? I would think so, but does a second line center who only wins thirty five percent of his draws really fetch that much anyway? I think I think they would try harder to showcase that he's a good scoring winger and can play well with other skilled guys because teams are more willing to go and trade for a good wing who's going to slot in and make sense on their team rather than try and force a center who's only winning 30% of his draws. What do you think we fetch for yeah, that? I, I was going to say, yeah. it, well, here, here, before, before we talk about potential returns on Nick Schmaltz, do, do we think they're going to trade him? Number one, like flat out. I mean, is no. this is this the guy that they're going to move? Yes or no? So. Unless unless somebody blows them away with a top four D, probably not. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So with with that said, are we trying to like you like you made the point? Are we trying to hurt his value to sign him for less money rather than actually trade him? By by stashing him outside of the top six, and you know making him making him play a less of a role, are they kind of playing with that, getting the same amount of well same talent out, but uh, you know setting themselves up for the future to pay him less money, I mean, rather I don't than think, actually trying to showcase. I don't think it's like a driving decision. I mean, they're not trying to like you know say like oh we want this guy to not score as much as you know he's projected to just to sign him to. So I don't think it's like intentional like that. Um, it just kind of works out in the flow of um, how the offense is coming together at this point in time, um, and Nisimov being more effective with Kane inside because um, he. I mean, so. Say you're, you know, like we talk about diminishing Schmaltz's value a little bit there, you're increasing Anisimov's, you're maxing out his potential because, you know, he he slots in best there. He needs some skill guys around him and he can still get in front of the net um, and be that guy to scoop up rebounds when uh, Kane leaves it there for him. So um, it, it's tough to say. I, I don't, honestly, I don't think it's intentional. It's not like an intentional. Uh, hack on Nick Schmaltz. It's more of a um, fit for the team and then see what he can do. Kind of play with his versatility a little bit. And I, I honestly don't think he'll be there permanently. There'll, there'll be plenty of line changes up as soon as we but go. Where on else does he go? Like, I don't want to see him give on me that the, You could give me the, you could give me the tinfoil hat for that one, yeah. Johnny. I, I'm just trying to. He, I mean, I, I think he'll, he'll eventually get, probably get another shot at that second line center. I mean, it's only a, 
I just it's I probably like only that. a matter of time until we go on a little bit of the skid and then Q tries to shake things up again. Then it's okay. We're gonna go with full speed at the top, and I don't know. Um, well, and maybe too though that the Hawks want him to show that he can drive a line and be a guy, the guy on a line. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's a big part of it too. You know, he's got the, and I, I I don't think Johnson's the best guy to be playing center on that line. But let's even say if it's David Camp, who's a little more offensive in comparison to to Johnson, you know, Fortin's speed is going to open up ice for a guy like Schmaltz. Mm-hmm. You know, and Camp is going to be kind of that grinder. You know, not a bruiser, but you know, a grinder guy on that line. You know. I think the Hawks are, you know, potentially seeing if he can be the guy because then if he shows, hey, listen, you know, he walks into that, that, you know, contract talks in July with Stan and sits down and goes, listen here, motherfucker, I drove a third line. We are putting up, you know, four goals every six games on a third line with only 12 minutes of play with David Kampf and Alexander Fortin. And guess who drove that offense? Me. I'm sure Stan would love him to walk in and do that and, you know, drop his balls on the table and say, listen, man, I'm, hey, I'm worth the hey, money. Hey, Stan's – I'm going to give you a no – I'm going to give you a no trade clause. That's exactly <laughs> what Stan <laughs> he wants. He wants Nick Schmaltz to walk in and be like, I want my no trade clause because Stan's going to be like, done. But unless, you know, unless he really can show he can drive play – you know, they're not just going to staple him to, to Kane for the rest of his career and pay him $6 million a year. That's not going to happen. You know, they might pay him two and a half if he's going to do that. You know, so I think they're giving him an opportunity to show that, okay, you're in your third, you know, really f- almost full season now. Come out here and show us that you're the guy we think you are, and we'll pay you accordingly after the season. Mm. Have they ever tried Schmaltz on the left wing with Anisimov centering Kane? Yes. Yeah, they did last year. I like that, man. I think Kane needs a right-handed shot to throw that one-timer across. I think they did in uh, the Arizona game and then in the Columbus game. I think that was the second. Yeah, it was it was for a more extended period of time right. last year, though. Realistically, yes. though, like if Taves, Debrinket, and Cahoon get slow, right? If if it starts to slow down, if they don't get so hot, does Cahoon drop to the third line? Schmaltz left wings that and sod pops up to the first line with Taves and Debrinket. Possibly. Possible. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot to consider with this forward group. So they're going to roll with that. Um, going into Thursday. We like night. these tinfoil hats, don't we? Yeah. I, I mean, that's so. what we're all about here. We're sure. Free, we're free flowing. We're, we're, uh, shooting all these different theories out, but you know what? It's, he blends a line so much that there's, like I said, I, I wouldn't rule any of those possible combinations out that you had just pointed out, Tyler. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes down. And I like I had sent to the group. I'm not a fan of Luke Johnson at all. So uh, expect him to be subbed out for a very in the very near future. Um, I just I, I don't see him sticking anywhere on this team, and especially when a guy like Dylan Sakur is finally back up. No way. So. All right, that's a lot to consider for the line, so we'll let you dwell on our little conspiracy theories there. And we're going to move I want, to... I want to talk about one more person. I want to talk who's, about one more person. Who's that? Kunitz. <laughs> Has anybody even noticed him? 
I noticed when he threw the puck away to hang Crawford out to dry in the game on Thursday night against Arizona. I but no, nothing, nothing too, good. Honey. Nothing good. How much are we paying this guy again? A million bucks. Yeah, a million, million bucks. Yeah, that's enough said. So, 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 all right, I just had one, since you brought him up, I wasn't going to touch on him. But uh, Barstool Chief made a interesting comment that what if you threw him on the third line and then a uh, Fortin down on the fourth? Or I, I don't know if it was Fortin, but he, oh, was thinking no. maybe, he was thinking maybe with Schmaltz and uh, like Schmaltz center. No, Schmaltz centering with Fortin. That's, that's what it was. It was Schmaltz centering Fortin and Kunitz third line. And then that Johnson or camp spot drops down to the fourth line. So, so, so Kunitz is back. So Kunitz is back in the defensive zone and those two guys are up trying to create some offensive chances. I, I don't know about that. I think, I, I think mean, Johnny and chief are trying to make uh schmaltz really earn his money now. Yeah. No, I, like I said, those were just, you know, if we're going off of our uh, conspiracy theories here, that was, that was one that I had just seen. So I don't know. I mean, I, I that's not going to happen. He's going to stay on the fourth line for now, especially with the way that he's been playing. But you know, when you sign a veteran like that, you're expecting, some smart plays, some assists, uh, maybe, you know, he's had a few goals here and there, but, um, obviously not the type of signing that, um, we expected so far. So he's another one to keep an eye on. Uh, all right. So onto the defense, since this is the good, the bad and the ugly episode defense has had all of that over this past week of games. Um, the good Eric Gustafson, I don't know if you guys have noticed him. His slap passes mm-hmm. that he's had, those have been great, and he looks just a lot more comfortable. Um, so any anyone want to give any assessment of Eric Gustafson over the past few games here? I mean, he's been, go- he's been good offensively, and I think that's what the team clearly knew about him as he had this offensive ability. Uh, I think he still needs to share some things up in his own zone. I mean, he's he's been okay the last couple of games in terms of in his own zone he hasn't been nearly as bad as he has been in the past but mm-hmm. I, I i mean he's he's a third pair guy for a reason you know he's going to give you great offense and subpar defense if he was if he was giving them even we'll call it average defense um you could argue he's probably the three maybe the probably the four, maybe the three, if he's giving them the offense he's giving them with at least average defense. Um, but he's he's just been below average in his own zone. But, yeah, I mean, offensively, anytime he's got the puck on a stick, he looked great. I mean, he essentially looks like a, a fourth forward out there in terms of offensive ability because, you know, he's finding the open guys. He's creating scoring chances. He's driving play. Um, he's not afraid to get in on uh, – you know, on, on the cycle a little bit and, you know, come down low and then recover and get back up on the point. So, um, yeah, he's been okay, but I, I don't know how much we want to put faith wise into, into Gustafson in his own zone. Yeah, I agree with that. I just wanted to point out cause that, that has just been impressive from an offensive standpoint. He just looks, uh, um, comfortable. And then he's been one of the only ones over the past few games, actually bringing, uh, the offensive game from the back end. So that was that was the good part um, for our defense. The bad, um, we're going to go with Brandon Davidson, that little experiment. He finally cracked the lineup the other night. Um, 
in place of Brandon Manning, and he looked like he was just lost out there. Yeah, I, I try not to watch the defense. <laughs> I don't. I don't blame you, but this is this is where I'm going with it. Then, so that's the bad. We're sliding down the hill, and then the ugly. We had touched on it earlier, but the 34 shots allowed against Tampa Bay. I mean, holy shit, that's terrible. That's the first of all, it's the NHL worst, and that just doesn't inspire confidence because that's a you know, you know top of the league team. Make Cam Ward earn those three fucking million dollars. Fire <laughs> shots at him all day. I, yeah, you know, so just... there, there's another theory. That's that's actually you know what the defense is trying to do. They're like, oh, this fucker's getting paid so much more than me, so you should earn it. That, that yeah. might be the tinfoil hat of of the day award right there. Is that yeah. the defense actually really wants to see Cam Ward work for his money? Yeah, I, I really like this theory. Um, this is something <laughs> that we should we should track throughout the year is how the defense plays in front of Crawford versus versus Cam Ward because they might just want to see that guy, you know, you know, dance monkey dance. You know, <laughs> earn those earn those earn those dollars. <laughs> oh, I love it. We're getting outlandish here, but that's that's what this platform's for. Um so yeah, we don't talk too much more about it since you said we try not to watch him too much, but we will definitely pay attention that uh, down the road. Obviously, accounting for uh, types of opponents that each of them face. Um, it was a little encouraging, more encouraging on Tuesday night though against Anaheim. I know they're not nearly as fast, um, and they had been in the negative on uh, shots throughout most through ev- through every period they were, but. Um, even with being in first place, they're kind of getting lucky with how well Gibson was being played. But it was just good to see the defense finally look a little more organized last night against Anaheim. So, um, yeah, on to goaltending, um, Anton Forsberg. So we, we had talked about it last week. Uh, what are the Hawks going to do with this three-goalie situation? They didn't want to carry three goaltenders. It's not ideal for a roster um, availability um, issues, wanting to bring up other centers and wingers. Um, so Anton Forsberg, they put him on waivers, and he actually cleared. Um, were you guys surprised about that? No. I was. I was. I was not. So we got an even... Two-two split yeah, here. I, for for me, it was just I thought somebody would have just taken the, you know, um, taken a chance on it as goaltending depth. I mean, I, I don't know. It just kind of seemed like that. I don't know. I, I was just surprised. Let's say that. I guess with his numbers and stuff, it doesn't. It's not that ridiculous to think that nobody would want him. But you know, he hasn't, and he hasn't played this year, so that's another thing. But. Um, yeah, at least it's a good insurance policy to have down Rockford, say an injury comes back looming. So. Do you really want him as an insurance policy? Um, I mean, point, I'd, rather have, I'd rather have Colin Delia. Um, right, Foster. exactly. So, so yeah, well, yeah, or Scott Foster. <laughs> you know, Scott Foster. Let's put, let's put Ron Luce in goal. Hey. Um, I would look like a block of Swiss cheese in that. Well, hey, after I after I fire you, I mean the the Hawks are looking for you know accounting people to play goal. Um, there you go. So you know, I don't know if that's why it doesn't really surprise me. I don't think the league really wants subpar goaltending. Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess he's a guy that has some NHL experience. He's he's young. He's got some pedigree as far as 
you know, leading a team through a, through a playoff run, um, you know, granted not in the NHL, but, um, so that there is, there is some stuff to like about him. We, we did touch on the fact that like, you know, remember Corey Crawford before he came up, he kind of faced some of that adversity too. Um, so you, you never know what's going to play out in Anton Forsberg's career, but as of right now, he hasn't shown anything at the NHL level. And, yeah. you know, he did get his chance last year to, you know, start a, uh, a lot of games and he really hasn't done much to seize the opportunity and, and, you know, prove himself as an NHL goaltender. So I think he's where he belongs. And uh, I think it was Ron, did you bring up that there was some maybe stipulation on if a team claimed him, he needed to be in the NHL. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's uh, yep, that's that thing was, or not, mm-hmm. but that could have played into some of the, uh, some of the reasoning as to why nobody wanted to claim him because if they would have had to use him in the NHL, uh, there, there's a lot of teams with two solid goaltenders already, and I don't think anybody yeah. wants to uh, keep him around. I'm, I'm not sure on that rule, um, but you know that that could have also played into some of it. But um, my question for you guys is, uh, you know, he goes down to Rockford, he gets a bunch of starts. Does that hurt the development of, of Kyle Delia? And, and how do you guys feel about that? Well, just really quick, uh, Kyle and Delia started in net tonight for Rockford, even though Forsberg was sent down. So take that for what it is. But I, th- I, I don't think it's going to hurt Delia necessarily. I mean, yeah, Forsberg's going to get games in the AHL. And I think, I think it's going to hurt guys but i think delia is good enough to where he's gonna at least fight to play an even split with forsberg i don't think forsberg is gonna go down there and just immediately play more games because delia is consistently shown now for a little over a season that he can play and play well for an extended period of time uh, i think it hurts more guys like uh like lankinen and even Tompkins, because Tompkins just came off of winning ECHL Goalie of the Week. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been crushing it down in Indy. And, um, you know, now Lincoln is... So why not home. Why not release him then? Why not just cut ties with Anton Forsberg? Or is this just more of a move to save face for Stan Bowman that, yeah, that Brandon Todd exactly trade may not exactly work out? I think that's part of it. And I think they're trying Tinfoil to salvage the fact he's, he's still <laughs> young enough. I think they're still trying to salvage the fact that he's still like 25. And if nothing else, if it all comes down to it and they give up on it, I don't think they just want to let him walk. I think they want to try and trade him for something. I mean, of course they want to trade him for something, right? Like that's the, they're not just going to say, like they don't want to release him and just have all the fucking money go off the books. But I like what Tony said. And I've been kind of thinking it since his name popped up is just that, how bad does that Panarin and Sod trade look now that we don't? It's not the goaltender that they advertised as like he just won his AHL team a championship. Like this could be our next Corey Crawford, our next starting goalie, and now it's it's someone that we're talking about releasing. Yeah, it was. I saw on. It's funny that you bring that up because I saw. I think it was on Monday, and it was Stan Bowman. Uh, saying that uh, it's too, still too early to judge if anyone won the Sod Panarin trade, and it's like that's a safe face thing. And then now you see Forsberg there, and you know instead of uh, letting him go, um, you know 
Here it's comes a rant. Face. Here comes. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, you, here comes go ahead rant. if you got a rant. I was just saying that. No, no, I, no. Here, here's my rant on Stan yeah. Bowman saying that is after you make that trade, your team doesn't make the fucking playoffs for the first time in what, like eight years. Mm-hmm. Now you've got another the, the, part of that trade, and and let's be honest. Anton Forsberg was a big part of that trade because you were losing Scott Darling at the time. This was advertised as here's a guy that can come in and step up if Corey Crawford goes down. Corey Crawford went down. Anton Forsberg did not fucking step up. So yeah. you make this trade underneath the assumption that Brandon Todd's going to come and be uh, somewhere near the, the, the Artemi Panarin level. Uh, we didn't get that last year. And the year that we really needed Anton Forsberg to step up, show himself, didn't fucking happen. So Stan Bowman sitting there saying that it's too early to judge who won that trade. Based off the first year, this team last year was not a playoff team. The two guys that you brought back in that deal are main reason why this team did not perform well enough to make the playoffs. That's a huge thing for a team that says that their, you know, their whole motto is one goal, and the one goal is to win the Stanley Cup. So yeah, you fucking lost that deal. I don't care if Brandon Saad comes back and scores sixty points this year, and you know leads the team into the playoffs. Last year was a huge miss, and guess what? That was Stan Bowman's doing and part of making that trade. So don't tell me that it's too early to judge who won that trade. That's my little rant on that. Yeah, when he made that statement, that's asking for rants like that, Tony. So thank you for delivering. My pleasure. I'll be here all night. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're here for. Um, okay, time to get to a couple reports here. Um, injuries, first of all, uh, no update. Martinson's finally back. Uh, Forslings was assigned to Rockford uh, so they could clear up a roster spot, um, but he's still on track for early November return. Murphy still not skating. I uh, don't know exactly when he'll be back. Uh, Mid December, most likely. Um, on to prospects. Rockford played tonight. Um, Dylan Dylan Sakura had a goal, so that puts him at seven points through seven games for Rockford. Victor Edgesell finally uh, found the back of the net twice, um, so he's got four points through six games for Rockford. Uh, that means he was a scratch in one of them. So good to see him bounce back from that. Uh, Maxime Shalinov, he's got eight points through 19 games in the KHL. Our boy, Adam Hey, Boquist. time out right here. Time out right here. Time out What's right that? here. Max, Max, I'm right here. Let's get him in the third line center role. Hey. Hey. I like yeah, that. He's, he's over in the KHL. I, I'm impressed. He was very impressive to me at the uh, prospect tournament. So um, all these guys that I'm. Put him on a line with Fortin and Schmaltz and. Oh. Yeah. That would be something. Yeah, that that that's getting me excited. That is, that's how we do these prospect reports. You can get excited about these guys that are, uh, you know, in the in the in the pipeline. So when is when is his contract up for KHL? Ooh, that's a good question. That'd so, probably right. do a little research. If you wanna, if someone wants to look that up while I get through the rest of these. Ron, you're supposed to be the facts Ron, guy. Ron, yep, yeah, yeah, Ron, go, yeah, Ron, you're the facts guy. Go ahead, Ron. And oh, I'm you're fired. I'm a, <laughs> there it is. What, what buzzwords am I using? Uh, Maxim Shalinov, KHL contract. Got it, I'm on it. 
Okay. So Adam Boquist, uh, no goals, but 10 assists through 10 games in the OHL. Nicholas Bodine, uh, one goal and eight assists in nine games for QMJHL Drummondville. Another young center, Philip Kurishev, four goals, 10 assists uh, through 13 games in the QMJHL. Mackenzie Entwistle, newly signed uh, last week, eight goals and four assists in 12 games for OHL Hamilton. And then NCAA play finally started. So uh, top D prospect, NCAA-wise, Ian Mitchell. He's got a goal and three assists in just four games for University of Denver. And center Evan Barrett's got a goal and five assists in just four games for Penn State. So, you know, you're talking about center depth issues there, Tony. Um, Evan Barrett and uh, Maxim Shalinov, and even that Philip Kurashev kid, um, all probably legitimate future options there. All right, so I have an update for you on Shalinov. So we're not going to like it, are we? Nope, nope, you're not going to like it at all. Mm. So according to a Scott Powers athletic article back in May, he actually sat down and interviewed Shalinov. Um, this was right after Shalinov had um, re-signed in the KHL. So he signed a three-year contract in the KHL. Um, there was originally some rumors that he was going to try and get out of it early uh, to come over to North America and play. Uh, but per Shalinov's words, um, it threw an interpreter. He said, come to Chicago is his eventual plan. Uh, however, he did say what the limitations are. He said player contracts. Um, he says he's referring to his KHL contract. He signed his three-year contract, and he plans on seeing it through. There's two more seasons left on that deal. Shalinov has the 2020-2021 season circled for his nhl arrival he'll then be only he'll only still be 27 years old so he'll be hitting his prime he won't be the the young chicken that everybody you know people should be nowadays to play in the nhl um but we're we're still looking at about two seasons before we see shalinov in a blackhawks uniform shit that sucks so how do we start some sort of movement to get him over here a little bit early? What do we got to do? Like, what do we, what do we got to offer this kid? Uh, get over here a little early. Steal. Sweet talk, or CSK. Panarin. <laughs> get Panarin back so you can play with his Russian brother. Mm. <laughs> or just have Anisimov, have Anisimov just go talk yeah. to him. Fun fact. Anisimov's yeah. um, got to be our Russian ambassador. His interpreter that Shalinov used. Uh, is also Anisimov's interpreter. See, well, that's, they're already good to go, man. That's good to know. So. Yeah, so that's that's yeah. not good. That's, we that's just actually gotta, not good. We just got to hype up uh, Anisimov on Twitter, so we just got to tweet at him a lot. Yeah. Does Does Shalinov get a no trade clause when he uh, signs his next deal with the Hawks? Absolutely. Uh, he cannot because he'll be signing an entry level contract first. Yeah. Uh, put it on there. <laughs> well, uh, see, I don't know. I don't know if being the fine print age. I don't know if because of his age he'll be required to, but he might have to sign like a one-year entry level, and then he'll get his no trade clause. Isn't that like similar <laughs> to Panarin though? Because Panarin was around the same age, right? Twenty, well, uh, twenty-four maybe. Panarin yeah, but Panarin wasn't signed. Panarin, Panarin wasn't drafted by the Hawks, though. He came in as a free agent. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, I did want to say this while you were reading the prospect report, uh, Johnny, mm-hmm. that 
one thing that I see is a common theme each week is that all of our defense prospects are scoring po- like a point per game, which is making me super happy for what's going oh, what's yeah. to come. Um, Bodine, Boquist, and even Ian Mitchell, now that he's in the mix with NCAA starting, it's just it's great to see that these guys are offensive-minded. It's something that we really need. Yeah, absolutely. And Darren Radish, he's, uh, I, I need to add him for next week, but he had two assists tonight, Ron. Was it two for Radish tonight? Yes, Darren yeah. Radish had so, two assists. Yeah. So, I Do you mean, think we see him come up? I'd love to see him come up before uh, Murphy and Forsberg. He's he's one of the older defensive prospects the Hawks have because he was he was an overage in the OHL with Erie when he uh, ended up signing with Chicago. Um, so I think Radish is probably at least twenty three um, by now, and I'll I'll confirm that here in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean he's got to the point. Uh, Johnny and I were talking about it before we we jumped on. Uh, he's got six points in seven games so far to open the season for Rockford. He's their leading uh, scoring defenseman. And to confirm, Darren Radish is 22. He will not be 23 until young, February. Yeah. And he's got Stand some chemistry with Dabrinkit anyway, winning the OHL with him and playing a ton of games, I'm sure. Yeah, actually, Radish credits Dabrinkit um, as being part of the reason he felt comfortable signing with Chicago because Dabrinkit was able to tell him about the organization. Hmm. Now, is Sounds his like brother a guy good? that Stan Bowman will trade. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Is Tyler Radish the like the pro like the hotter prospect that everyone's oh, going is... after? I think his brother uh, is the more Taylor, yeah. I Taylor, think Taylor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taylor, yeah. Taylor Radish, yeah, he's down in Tampa. He was a second round draft pick where Darren was undrafted. Gotcha. So Yep. It'll be more to add to this prospect report, expand it a little bit as more of these guys start getting going with their NCAA seasons. Um, there's a few others that we'll look at, but Ian Mitchell would definitely be the one if you're going to watch any Friday night college hockey um, coming up. Denver's usually on it. Um, they're a pretty damn good team. So Ian Mitchell, um, probably the most uh, promising future d-man i mean always a little bit off with him only being i think his second year at denver but still i believe he's a sophomore yeah so a lot to look forward to uh prospect wise so hopefully we can look back and laugh at this defense in three years and you know when we're flying all over the place and have one of the top scoring uh from the back end at that point in time so all right, let's wrap it up. Uh, week ahead, Thursday, home against the Rangers, 7.30. Saturday at St. Louis, 7 p.m. And then Sunday, back home against Edmonton, 5 p.m. Um, which one are you guys most excited for and why? I say St. Louis, man. I want to see I want to see us play, uh, you know, a playoff team that we have some bad blood against and just kind of see where our compete level is. I'm going to go Edmonton, um, and I think the reason for that is, I mean, Connor McDavid's Connor McDavid. Edmonton has a lot of firepower. I'm interested. I'm interested to see how the um, the Hawks blue line matches up with some of those guys. Um, also worth noting because then they will play Edmonton again in Edmonton 
um, a week from tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, so, the following Thursday. Yep. So two games against Connor McDavid and the Oilers uh, in the next, you know, eight days or so. So um, that's my my game. I'll be keeping an eye on. I'm also going to echo uh, with Tyler. Um, I love St. Louis games because I love rivalry games and I hate uh, Detroit and St. Louis. So um, those games get me a little bit extra hyped up. Um, I love when we beat St. Louis and I have a feeling that we will uh, continue to beat them all year. Uh, they've had quite a quite a bad start to the year, haven't they? Yeah. So yeah. I, I like beating up on them. It's always fun. Yeah, always looking forward to that. hate St. Louis, but I'm going to go with Ron on this one. Edmonton, um, obviously going against Connor McDavid. Uh, they've got some offensive firepower there. And also because I want to see how they handle this back-to-back. Because that's Saturday, Sunday. Uh, for Saturday in St. Louis, Sunday at home against Edmonton. Um, so I don't know what the goalie situation will be yet. Um, but if I were to guess, I think they'd probably go Crawford Thursday and Saturday and then back to Ward on Sunday. Um, I mean, that's just me speculating, but I could easily see that happening as that's what happened this past weekend, um, with the Thursday, Saturday to Crow and then Sunday to Ward. So, um, hopefully they can put together a, you know, full 60 minutes in that second of the back to backs. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. So, you guys got anything else? Nope. Nope. I've always got something to say. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> let's go Hawks. Yeah. yeah. Let's go Hawks. Let's go. All right. That does it for episode six of the Four Feathers podcast. I am Johnny Nani for Ron Luce, Tony Marchese, and Tyler Jones. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks, baby. Mm-hmm.